0: Hey, this is Scott Klozowski. You've landed at the Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming. So jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. time to cover the first subtopic in the series on machine intelligence. And if you're going to start with a subtopic, it's got to be robotics. So when I talk about robotics, uh, I got to go back to uh, when I was a kid and I think about the Jetsons and the Flintstones, two of my favorite shows when I was a kid, but for completely different reasons. Uh, I love the Flintstones because uh, I like the characters and I thought it was an interesting show. Uh, But the Jetsons, that was a whole different thing. When I saw the Jetsons for the first time, I think that's what started me on the road uh, that that had me end with uh, having a firm called Future Point of View and being somebody that was constantly looking out into the future as far as what technology was going to do. When I saw the robot made in Jetsons and I saw the different devices that they had, I thought, well, by the time I get out of high school, when I'm an adult, I will have all of these. And here I am at 58 years old, and you know what I have? I have a Roomba. A Roomba is not exactly what they had on the Jetsons. But you have to admit that the Jetsons was a pretty interesting show as far as painting a picture of what the future might be like. And it definitely started my first uh, interest in robots. Now, I love science fiction. And so, of course, I've read a ton of science fiction books. And, you know, one of the interesting things when I look into science fiction is uh, how uh, robots tend to play a Pretty uh, major role. And in a lot of cases, the robots are humanoid. And I think that's an interesting thing to look at just uh, the fact that when we think about a mechanical device, right, or a device that can do tasks for us, we tend to make it humanoid. Uh, Now, there's a term for that, uh, skeuomorphism. Uh, I've always loved the concept of skeuomorphism or skeuomorphs, which is uh, where we take something from the physical world and then we mock it in the digital world. Because we're comfortable with it, so for instance, a calculator, right, or a telephone, uh, taking those uh, uh, what we had in the physical world for years, and then just uh, literally recreating them uh, visually in a virtual world, when clearly there would be a better way to provide that information. So anyway, skeuomorphism—it's what we do with uh, robots. You know, we tend to try to show them as being humanoid. Now, uh, I, I'm sure that when we look into the future, years from now, what we're going to find is uh, that robots are going to come in many, many different flavors. Uh, sure, will there be uh, robots that have a human form factor? I, I'm sure they will. And the reason for that is because we've set up a world that works for our hands and our feet and legs. And so in order for a device, a machine uh, to, to play a role in our world it some level, it will have to have the same type of physical characteristics that we have. But I think that will be a small percentage of the overall robots. I have a feeling there will be many more. Uh, And I think we need to define uh, robots as not only being physical, uh, that there are also virtual robots, uh, things that we would uh, build into RPA, for example, robotic process automation, uh, which is going to be the second piece of uh, robotics. Right? We'll get to that here in a second. Uh, but let's back up. Uh, it might be interesting for you to know that this word was invented uh, many years ago, uh, actually in 1920s. And so uh, there was a Czech playwright uh, whose name was Karol Köpek, uh and he lived from 1880 to 1938. And uh, he introduced in 1920 his hit play RUR, right? Rosum's Universal Robots. Uh, And that was the first time that word really is seen, that we know of. And the word comes from the old church Slavonic word, robata, R-A-B-A-O-T-A, which means servitude or forced labor, which tells you something about the history of robots and kind of our thoughts, right? Mechanical machines or beings uh, that basically do our bidding, right? Do our work for us. And I find it interesting that that's where the word comes from, Servitude or forced labor. Uh, Now, I looked up, just for fun, uh, in Webster's and Oxford, uh, what the definition of robot was. And neither one of them was very good at all. Uh, You know, they both basically talk about machines that are like humans. Uh, And I think that's where I really want to start today, which is uh, we need to vastly broaden uh, what that word means. Uh, that word should not mean uh, a metal and plastic machine, uh, you know, that looks like a human or does things like humans. Uh, even in factories right now, right? Uh, typically, the the machines um, look like large arms, and and that's fine. Uh, you know, they don't have to have legs or a body. Uh, But I I think one of the things we need to do right off is just start broadening the term of what is a robot. Uh, And as I mentioned earlier, let's broaden it into two different pieces, physical and virtual, because I think it's important to understand that we also have virtual robots today, uh, which are code, code that do a highly repetitive process that a human used to do on a computer system. All right. So... That's one way to look at robotics. Maybe right. The one at one end of the spectrum is uh, we have physical robots, and at another end of a spectrum uh, we have the uh, the virtual robots. Uh, so think about it that in that way. Then look at another layer, which is at one end of the spectrum. We have machines, whether those are virtual machines or physical machines, uh, that do not have much intelligence. They do one task over and over and over, and that is the only thing they know how to do is that one task. For instance, uh, put a weld on a car part, and that's the only thing that the robot can do is put a weld on a car part. Or if it's a virtual robot, maybe it moves data from one system to another automatically when there's data to be moved. That's the only thing the virtual robot knows how to do. At the other end of the spectrum, you would have a highly intelligent robot. So you would have one that's got AI built into it. It's a robot that can make decisions. It could look at a large amount of data and make a decision much like a human being. Uh, Maybe it even knows what its goal is. It knows what its tasks are. And it is constantly optimizing to be able to do those tasks. So you can think about this almost like a quadrant if you wanted to, where we have physical robots, we have virtual robots, we have robots that are very single use, not highly intelligent. And then we have robots on the other end of the spectrum growing more intelligent all the time. If you think about the Boston Dynamics videos that we keep seeing, uh, highly ambulatory robots, and then Boston Dynamics bought an AI company, which means that they can put a brain into those highly, uh, you know, highly um, augmented robots that uh, can move, walk, flip, jump, you know, do everything that their their robots can do. So, again, it's time to widen this definition of robot. And if we do, uh, it, it starts to just include any machine, whether it's a virtual machine or a physical machine, that that can do a task for a human being, and then the robots will be in different places on the uh, intelligence scale. So. Once we have widened it, Uh, then love to talk about uh, some interesting improvements that we're seeing today. So, if we look at uh, the near future, you know, what is going to happen with robots, um, many things will, but let me just pick out five that I find most interesting. The first is improved dexterity. Okay so uh, it better replicates you know what a human hand can do or what human legs or feet can do right so improved dexterity that's one of the things we're going to see of my five interesting improvements is just robots that are able to do more than what a human hand can do right that that are able to probably do more than what the human legs can do and so that improved dexterity is going to allow them to take over tasks that were formerly always done by human beings. We need that improved dexterity. Maybe, again, all the way at one end of the spectrum is uh, robots that can do surgery on their own. So not like the uh, the, the robotic surgery units today that are controlled by a human, uh, but a, a robotic surgery system that could do an appendectomy with no human involved uh, and do it at a much higher higher rate of success with much less infection right so improved dexterity i often think about watchmakers right and how difficult it is to be a watchmaker or a watch repair person with all the tiny little parts but how easy it would be for a robot once the robot has dexterity like a human hand or better all right, number two of my five most interesting improvements, the integration of AI. And so again, easy to think about this as we now give a robot a brain. And so we merge in uh, artificial intelligence, right? the ability to make a decision, and then the ability to make more decisions and more decisions. And so we combine these two fields of technology, the field of robotics, of a machine that can do a task over and over again, with AI, the ability to actually now make decision. So as it sees an escalating amount of data... The robot now can make a decision much like a human being. It can have discretion. So instead of a robot being a single use, it has one thing that it does. It actually has the discretion um, to understand risk, to understand danger, right? to understand that a decision needs to be made. We have given the robots a brain. So that's the second thing that I think we will see that will be interesting, uh, is just the continued intelligence built into robots. The third, uh, more ambulatory. And so again, as as we've seen with the Boston Dynamics robots, uh, and we're seeing with other organizations as well now, uh, robots that are more ambulatory. Now, ambulatory doesn't necessarily mean they have better legs. They have different legs. They might have tank tracks and wheels, right? But ambulatory, the robots can move. Now, in a factory, maybe there's not a need for the robots to move because the production line moves to the robot. But there are many other cases where it's going to be critical that a robot becomes ambulatory if we want it to be successful. For instance, a security robot. Look at a, a robot that's going to guard a campus or guard a business. Uh, the more ambulatory that robot is, the less easily it can just be knocked off its track, right, or knocked over or fall. Um, the, the more we can make sure that it cannot do those things, right, because it is highly ambulatory, the better. The more it could chase after a perpetrator that has broken into a building. Right. So clearly, it's one of the things that we want to happen is that robots become more ambulatory, at least the physical side robots, uh, that they move. They can move on their own. They can move without hurting anybody or hurting anything. And so that's my number three that, that we are going to see that we're making a lot of progress on. My number four, more specialized So science fiction, uh, again, did us no favors when they painted a picture of humanoid robots that basically could do all tasks and did those tasks using human tools and looking just like humans. So uh, when science fiction painted that picture, it it established into our minds what a robot is. I'd love for you to let go of that, first of all, because we've talked about virtual robots, but also uh, think about specialized use robots. When you really step back and say, well, what does a robot need to look like in order to cut the lawn? Well, clearly that robot does not need to look like a human being. And the robots that have been built to cut lawns don't look like human beings. Uh, They look like just small mobile units right? that have a blade that turns and have a lot of sensors. So we can use another example. You know, what would a robot look like that goes and fights fires? Well, I don't think we want it to have two legs and two arms, you know, to try to carry a hose uh, that's a very heavy hose into a building, or to be fireproof, uh, or to be able to survive if uh, if something falls on it, right? I mean, you're going to want a completely different looking device to be a firefighting robot, and so it is with most physical robots that we talk about, you know. The robots that are working in uh, warehouses now do not look like human beings. Uh, And I think we'll see more and more of that. We'll see very specialized uh, uses for robots where we say, here's the task that needs to be done physically. And then... You know, here's the best design to be able to do that task. And rarely is it going to be two arms, two legs, you know, and a head. Uh, Again, the only time that we'll have to do things like that is when the robot is using tools or a human system uh, that is already built for arms and legs. And then we need to put the robot into it. Uh, But maybe a good way to think about this is if you want to build an autonomous car, you don't build a robot to put in the car to do steering with a traditional steering wheel or press on a gas pedal. You actually build all the autonomy right into the vehicle. Uh, It's the same thing, right? When I say number four, more specialized, we're going to see more and more custom built robots to do a specific task. Um, Putting shingle on a house. Okay, what would a robot look like that puts shingle on a house? What would a bulldozer robot look like? Okay, or the robot tractors in a field in agribusiness? None of those is going to be built uh, to look like a human or to operate like a human. All right, number five, more connected to the mesh. So not the internet per se, right? I'm going to say the mesh. Robots are, are going to become more and more connected to the sensors and the smart devices around them. And that's what I'm going to call the mesh. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about that before. Uh, this is a uh, you know where there are hundreds or thousands of sensors and devices that are all connected to each other. Uh, and so they create a mesh, a unit that has some awareness and some understanding more than the individual parts. Well, robots are going to become more and more connected to a mesh. And that mesh will give them real-time information as far as what they should be doing. And this is a lot more powerful than a robot just being connected to the internet and one human controller. So think about the factory floor. If the factory floor is a mesh, which many are starting to become uh, a a digital mesh of devices and sensors and equipment, the robot now can interact with the overall mesh. As opposed to the, the robot is bolted to the floor Uh, and it does its one task and it's highly dependent on the the production line to bring a part uh, in in exactly the right place for the robot to be able to do what it does. Think about when a robot understands the entire overall system and can constantly make adjustments on what will be best. So that's my number five, more connected to the mesh. Those are my five interesting improvements, Improved dexterity, the integration to AI, more ambulatory, more specialized, more connected to the mesh. Now, I am a digital optimist, that is this podcast, and so it's now time to talk about why am I so optimistic about robots and what they're going to be doing in the world. Uh, they're already here, but what we're, what they're going to be doing over the next five to 10 to 20 years, and I've broken this down basically into three main areas and then just a fun one. Right. So the three main areas that make me really optimistic, uh, the first one is improved safety. Okay. A, a robot, physical robot, is able to do tasks that today could harm a human. Uh, I've many times used the example of a firefighting robot. Uh, I really uh, would like to not have our human firefighters dying in buildings that they go into and then the building collapse or there's an explosion, right? We clearly can build firefighting robots that would be able to do a better job inside the building than a human could do with all of the sensors that could be given to a robot. Robot could have a drone flying over the top of the fire, giving it real time information on what it should be doing. So, we easily could uh, improve the safety of firefighters by creating firefighting robots. Uh, anything in manufacturing that is dangerous, whether it's lifting or cutting, uh, you know, doing anything around a blade, uh, or whether it could be some type of compression issue. Uh, so, uh, anything that could be dangerous in manufacturing, uh, allowing a robot to do it. uh, Mining, fishing, right? I mean, we can go through certain industries where there's a high incident of humans being injured and say, uh, a robot is going to be able to do that. And so improving safety is one of the first things that makes me very optimistic, Uh, especially if we want to look at at volume of lives, our lives lost, autonomous vehicles, Right when you have robotic vehicles, right or autonomous vehicles, uh, trucks, uh, taxis, you know whatever, you're going to improve the safety on the roads, and that's going to, of course, save you know thousands and thousands of lives. All right, number two, improve security. Uh, robots, both virtual and physical, being able to watch out for criminal activity. So. In virtual, it's building robots that can watch network traffic, for instance, on a on a network in a company's corporate network, and the robot can watch the network and can understand anomalies faster, better than any human could do, and go take action. And we've already have the starting of those types of systems when we have, uh, you know. MDR, right? Managed Detection and Response Systems. And so, definitely virtual robots that can watch for criminal activity in electronic and digital world. And then we have, you know, uh, building activities, campuses, uh, we have places that we want to protect. And of course, we already have a, a company that's building robots um, to provide security uh, that can provide security 24 7, have a, a Better sensor array than what a human would have. Uh, you know, the next step is just to have the robots be able to actually react and take some action. Uh, so the more we can build robots, whether they're virtual or physical, to be able to react to some type of crime or some type of violence and react faster, but also in a safer way than sending in law enforcement, that's great. And of course, we already have uh, bomb disarming robots, and we've got uh, robots that SWAT teams use just for these reasons. So I'm not out on a limb guessing here. I mean, we know that robots are going to be able to improve security more and more. So we've got to improve safety, improve security. Third one, improve Prove convenience. So today, humans do a lot of boring, repetitive tasks. Uh, if you really think about it, now a lot of these we get paid for, and so we appreciate that we get paid for these boring, repetitive tasks. But they are boring and repetitive, and it would be great if we got paid to do something that was more inspiring. And so, what we'll see with uh, virtual robots, especially, is uh, replacing tasks that are done sitting in front of a computer uh, that can just be boring—looking at the same data over and over again and making a decision, or looking at data and moving it to uh, deciding where to move it to another place, right? But then we got the physical side. Uh, you know, lifting heavy things above your shoulders. Uh, you know, there there are tons of tasks that uh, that that we can use robots to improve just the convenience in our lives. Uh, when you think about a smart home, I mean, in some ways, we're starting to move from just a smart home to a smart part robotic home. In other words, things like door locks uh, we're now able to make smart, so that uh, they know to unlock when we walk up to the door, but not when anybody else does. So uh, robots will provide a lot of convenience. And of course, I'm back to the Jetsons days. You know, yes, it'll be more than just a Roomba. Uh, the Roomba is great because it, it keeps us from having to vacuuming the house, right? That provides a lot of convenience. We just need about seven or eight other devices that help keep the house clean and safe and uh, you know, provide some convenience for us. So safety, security, and convenience. But here's the fun one. Uh, I have a strong belief that one of the things that robotics is going to do is help manufacturing move more and more back to the US. A lot of the reason that that US manufacturing firms outsourced manufacturing was because of the lower labor costs. That only helps when labor is a high percentage of what the cost of the, the product is. So if you can take the labor cost out, then it doesn't make sense to have to incur the shipping cost and the supply chain costs of having something manufactured overseas. So what I believe we're going to see in the US is a renaissance of manufacturing back to the US, because as we can build more and more highly roboticized plants, for instance, like the Tesla plant, uh, it's going to take more and more labor out of the equation which means that uh, by saving the shipping costs of doing things domestically, we're going to see more and more manufacturing investment in the US, uh, more and more robotic plants, uh, and then that will bring manufacturing back to the United States. So there you go. There's my fun reason to be optimistic. Now, uh, let me sum that up to just say... uh, There's no question that as we can make robots more ambulatory, they have better dexterity, they are smarter, then there are more and more tasks we do today that robots can do. And when robots take over those tasks, it frees us to do things that are more fun or more inspiring or more interesting. And that's what I hope people understand. I don't worry about robots taking our jobs. I I just look optimistically on how neat it's going to be when robots replace Things that we have to do all the time. Hey, I have to go clean and chemical the pool uh, at our house, you know, once a week. You know, it'll be great when the robot systems, the robotic systems can just do all that for us. So, anyway, uh, I'm very optimistic about what robotics will do for us. I hope you are as well. But let me end with uh, that there are some people who really are concerned because of all the movies they've seen in Hollywood about robots uh, taking over the world that they become problematic uh, that they get minds of their own as we make them smarter and smarter and that eventually uh, they want to kill off humanity because humans are you know not as efficient as robots right I, how many movies have we seen that are some variation of that uh, you know the Terminator series is of course the the foundation of that whole paradigm. Uh, now, I'm aware, I'm aware that when you automate a machine, uh, that there can be some danger. So there's no question. And I do believe as we automate machines and we build more and more robots and we come to depend on them more and more, we will have more and more deaths and injuries as we're going through the learning curve on how to build automated systems. So there are problems. Uh, you know. When you build a robotic device and it has a single use or multi-use uh, and that's all it knows how to do, it may do those things blindly, uh, which could uh, obviously cause problems. Now, uh, I understand that. I look at that as learning curve. The best analogy I can give you, though, uh, the way to think about this is autonomous vehicles. Uh, yes, there will be people who will be run over or killed by autonomous vehicles. There will be. Uh, and 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 that that will cause all kinds of hue and cry out in the world. The bigger picture, though, is once we have these systems locked in, they will save thousands and thousands of lives. And so it's a little bit illogical to worry about the fact that an autonomous machine might cause some injury, when on the other side, it saves thousands and thousands of injuries every year. So we need to keep that balanced. And I do, let's end with kind of addressing robots taking over. Uh, You know, hopefully a lot of you are familiar with the uh, robot laws that Isaac Asimov uh, came up with in 1942 uh, in a short story called Runaround, which was in the iRobot series. Now, Asimov uh, developed basically three laws, robot laws, and I'm going to give you the original version of these. The first law is a robot, a robot may not injure a human being through an action, allow a human being to come to harm. Second law, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. The interesting thing about these three laws is they have to be in this order. If you change the order around, uh, then they don't work. But in this order, uh, it, it's a really good way of developing uh, the intelligence in robots, or the motivation or inspiration in robots, uh, to be able to make sure that they do not hurt human beings. Now, I bring this up because you know this was uh, first put together in 1942. So you know we are decades and decades past this. Uh, I really do not worry about, in the normal function, uh, autonomous robots taking over the world or wanting to get rid of the human beings. I only worry about what human beings will do with the robots, Uh, because the vast majority of people who build robots will build them and build them to be safe. There are always people who are on the dark side uh, who will look to deprogram, reprogram, or use some type of autonomous robotic system, virtual or physical, and try to corrupt it in order to cause mayhem. And I'm sure we will go through some decades of that happening maybe we look at that as cybersecurity issues right but i am sure as we come to depend more and more on robots we will have to fight more and more with the dark side the criminals so the digital criminals who try to turn robots against us or build robots that are highly destructive robots so we'll make mistakes along the way. We'll learn lessons. Uh, But I don't worry about this in the long term. Uh, I don't worry about robots replacing human jobs. Uh, We have not seen that that is a real problem up to this point. Uh, When you talk to people from manufacturing plants, they enjoy working with the robots because the robots do the heavy physical tasks or dangerous tasks. People worry much more about jobs going overseas, which again, as I told you, I think robots can actually stop. So I'm highly optimistic about what's going on with robots, what will go on with robots, uh, and the role that they play in the machine intelligence stack. All right, that's it for today's episode. The next podcast is going to be about machine learning and deep learning. So, the ways that AIs uh, are trained or train themselves. And of course, we already talked about the combination of AI and robots. So, that means machine learning and deep learning not only make AI smarter, they're going to make our robots smarter as well. And so, that'll be our next podcast. Uh, Until then, uh, I hope you will uh, study a little bit more about what's going on in the robot world and uh, not worry about fearing it, forget the Hollywood movies, and just look forward to the Jetsons. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at S. or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklasosky.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, Please take a moment and race this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism.